Let's pray. Gracious God, today we, we are thankful. Hopefully we're thankful every day, but uh, today we make a point of it, of being thankful for our mothers and our grandmothers and all of the mentor figures who have helped us in this life. And let us also count the many blessings that you have given to us in ways that we often take for granted as signs of your unmerited grace that is bestowed upon us, that is showered upon us freely. Let us take that as a sign of your eternal love and devotion to us. Amen. Continue our our journey through the book of Acts in the post-Easter time. This is actually still Easter season, in case you'd forgotten that. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. 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 The book of Acts was written by Luke. Not everybody knows. Luke Acts is one, is one work that we split into two parts. Sort of a part two of his gospel. Now, Acts covers the spread of the Christian church after Jesus' ascension. It begins, of course, with the giving of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Uh, this was given within the Jewish community to those Jews who believed Jesus was the Messiah. Now, the community of Christ followers spread, of course, famously to the Gentile world around them. This meant Christ was sent by God to be the Savior for anyone in this whole wide world who believed. That was the major theme of last week, if you were here, with the bizarre vision that Peter saw about the inclusivity of Christ, an inclusivity that we sometimes forget, but is really important. Okay, so the book of Acts covers so much geography that we simply have to pull out a few maps uh, to see where everything is going. So here's a map of where Christianity spread during the time of Acts and beyond. Uh, you can see... Uh, the, the, the purple section is in the first 150 years after Jesus, and uh, the, the reach included most of what is, most of what is modern-day Turkey, and it was then uh, Galatia, uh, part, of, part of Greece, part of Italy, you have North Africa, and Egypt as well. Now, whereas Jerusalem was initially the center of the Christian church, that shifted quickly in the generation after Jesus to Antioch in what is now modern-day Syria. And that became uh, the center where many Gentiles were converted. Now, 300 years after Christ, when Constantine made uh, Christianity the official state religion of the Roman Empire, now, uh, by, this, by this time, uh, the green section indicates how far Christianity had spread. So in, you, have, you have the Balkans in, in Europe, uh, uh, all of Italy, you have Spain and France, and it continues to spread uh, in, in the Near East 
as well. Okay, kind of interesting, isn't it, how that all transpired? Let's look, at, let's look at another map of who went where to put some people on this map. Okay, the apostles traveled to all parts of the region. Uh, they were, their purpose was simple, to proclaim the crucified and risen Christ, and the rest is history, as they say. Now, Thomas made his way all the way over to India in the first century, which is kind of noteworthy. Uh, James and Paul uh, went to Spain. Uh, Andrew to what is today Eastern Europe. And Peter, Paul, and Barnabas worked the heart of the Roman Empire, which was primarily Greek-speaking, right here. Now today we're going to look uh, more closely at uh, the region of Galatia in, in, in biblical times, or what is modern-day Turkey, right there, which was a Greek-speaking region since this was in the pre-Islam days. That would come uh, several centuries later. And we're going to go back and forth between a few towns right in, right in there. Okay, back to the story. Does that give you a little sense of kind of the map and where things are, are going on here. This is quite a busy, busy time. Paul and Barnabas were a team. Paul did the public speaking, and he was very good at that. And Barnabas was in charge of logistics. So without Barnabas, they wouldn't have known where the heck they were uh, going. Uh, so they were a good team. They had, those two replaced Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, as the next generation of principal witnesses to the Gentile, the non-Jewish world. We begin today in Antioch, which is the new center of the Christian church, where the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Paul for the work to which I have called them. And then the Holy Spirit sent them off first to Iconium, uh, this very diverse city in the region of, uh, uh, region of Galatia, where Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time together. Uh, this is in the first part of chapter 14, but not in our lesson. And while they were there, the Holy Spirit allowed them to do signs and wonders, and many became believers, including both Jews and Greek-speaking folks. But some of the non-Christian Jews who were there began to poison the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. So this is an ongoing thread in this unfolding drama. These Jews had positions of power and privilege and were not frankly, interested in sharing power or space with these Christians. Also, they were jealous. They were jealous of the kind of success that Judaism could never have because their message was not for Gentiles, only Jews. So eventually, the undermining efforts of the Iconium Jews paid off. When plans became known that Paul and Barnabas might be stoned, and that would be to death, they left town and tried again in a town called Lystra. And we learned about Lystra in Al's reading of the first lesson. So you see the stakes are rather high here when people, there's a bounty on your, your head by some. So now we're right back into our lesson. In Lystra, right in front of the temple belonging to Zeus, Paul told people about 
Jesus. Now, Paul was a persuasive speaker, and he spoke about the God who, who made everything, the God who came down to us in Jesus of Nazareth, who, who taught and healed and forgave sins, was crucified and rose again, then released his Holy Spirit into his believers. Many believed, including, this was in, in Lystra as he was preaching, including a man listening intently to Paul who had been crippled from birth and could not walk. Seeing his faith, Paul told the man to stand up and walk. And he did. He was healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what was the response of the people? What are they, they going to do now? A little unpredictable. Well, they said, the gods have come down to us in human form. They're very excited. Paul and Barnabas, of course, were surprised and bewildered uh, by this response. They didn't know that the people were likely thinking of a story that was told uh, by Ovid, the Roman poet. Now, Ovid tells of the Greek gods in this story, Zeus and Hermes, who came to us once in the guise of humans, visiting a righteous old couple not far from Lystra. This couple offers hospitality to Zeus and Hermes in disguise, even though they did not know they were entertaining gods. As a result, they were rewarded lavishly by Zeus for their hospitality. So, that's the background story. So these Greeks that Paul was preaching to thought Barnabas and Zeus were, uh, they, thought, uh, they thought Barnabas was Zeus and Paul was Hermes. They thought the gods were visiting them in, in these individuals. So they immediately began to bring to Paul gifts and offerings and sacrifices. Now, the humor of the situation is, is quite uh, clear. Uh, people stumbling all over each other to ingratiate themselves and pay homage to who they thought was Zeus and Hermes, that they might be rewarded from their gifts. Paul and Barnabas, however, see no humor in this. But as you can tell from the text, they are aghast at this misunderstanding. So they tear their clothes in an act of, of protest and uh, grief. They were protesting the people's expectation that if the gods did come down, they could be bought. That by bringing gifts, people could demonstrate their worthiness or their ability to pay the right price. So, let the lobbying begin. Now, Paul is no doubt thinking about himself now. If there ever was an unworthy person, it was him. Saul of Tarsus, persecutor of the Christians. And yet, God came down to him, full of grace and truth, giving him a new life. Paul, you see, knew that no one was worthy to approach or lobby God. That everyone's sincerity and motives are suspect, yet God came down, even to the least of us, even to the most unworthy. God came down in Jesus and gave us nothing less than life and all its riches, and it's free. 
So Paul tells the people, we are not gods. We're people just like you. So put away these worthless things that you're bringing to us and turn to the living God, the God who has already given you heaven and earth, the rain that falls and the sun that shines. In other words, without doing anything to demonstrate your worthiness, Paul is saying, the one true God has already given you, in in a lavish way, sun and rain, food and clothing, five senses to experience the world, mountains and lakes, hobbies and passions, friends, mentors, life partners, children, mothers, etc., etc., And you see, the argument kind of goes like this. If God has already bestowed this level of grace upon you, that's nothing compared to the gift of God's own self in Jesus. So so now, just as God fills your bellies with food and drink in a material sense, God fills your hearts. God fills your hearts and your minds with the Holy Spirit that has been poured out upon all flesh. And the Holy Spirit is nothing other than the power and life of God. Now, the high regard with which the crowd at Lystra held Paul and Barnabas uh, was short-lived. This is also going beyond our text, but it's sort of like, well, what happened after this? Well, I'll just tell you briefly. Jews from Iconium had followed them like (laughs) like a pack of wolves. These are the ones who were jealous and wanted to do them in poisoning the crowd there, and soon the crowd had turned against them in Lystra after they were bringing gifts to them thinking that they were gods. Now they want to stone them, and in fact, they did at the edge of the city, leaving Paul for dead. But the followers of Jesus, who had received Paul and Barnabas' message, then surrounded Paul, and Paul was able to stand up and walk away as if Jesus himself showed up, picked up Paul, and raised him from the dead. Okay, kind of a, kind of a wild ride, wouldn't you say? So what do Paul and Barnabas do now? That was a close call. Time to retire on the shores of the Mediterranean, wouldn't you say? Uh, I mean, how many of you would throw in the towel right about now? I think that'd be it for me. I'd be uh, time to... The text simply says in the sparest of terms that Paul and Barnabas continued with their mission in the next town. What? No medical treatment, no counseling, no stiff drink? No. Just move on. What we've seen in this story is is typical of the church in Acts. All over the map that we looked at earlier, In it, you get a snapshot of the DNA of the church, the church, by the way, of which we are a part. The Church of Acts is an incredibly agile, adaptable, and irrepressible movement. Paul and Barnabas will not be deterred. There were simply no excuses for not getting this message out. So, to to close off my sermon here, just to... I want to ask a question. What possessed Paul and Barnabas and many others, of course, to spread the message of Jesus in the face of such odds? 
Quickly, two things. First, the Holy Spirit, a rather significant force in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit that swept through the hearts of its followers and throughout the region, filling them with the power of God. Same power that is given to us as well. In the movie uh, Lincoln, which I know many of you have seen, there's a moment while fighting for the abolition of slavery when Lincoln says, I am the President of the United States and I am clothed in the immense power. Now, that, that can be a scary sentiment uh, for any of us when we consider the context uh, of a president uh, saying that. But of course, in Lincoln's time, it was absolutely true when you look at what happened. We too are clothed in immense power, the power of God's Holy Spirit. Now, I have to say it may not feel like we have immense power on, on most days. Are you with me? You know, like when you can't even remember where you put the keys. Or like for we guys, when we see our chest move down to our stomach. <laughs> or you just don't feel terribly powerful. Or, or moms, when you... you Despite your best efforts, you can't get the males in your world to put the toilet seat down, no matter how many times you say it. Well, we just don't always feel so powerful, right? And of course, it's not so much that we are powerful, of course, but that God is, and that God is at work in us, a treasure in earthen vessels, as we love our neighbor and help him or her to have faith, hope, and love. Which brings us to the second reason Paul and Barnabas would risk life and limb to spread the good news of Jesus. People just had to know that in Jesus, God came down. Clearly, there are some things that are worth living and even dying for. So what obstacles do you face as you share the good news in your world, the good news that God came down. Amen.